Hello, all, and welcome back to Stemming Forward. This is Chris coming back at you again, and today we are going to continue our conversation on mental health. Now, in the last episode, we shifted the conversation to the stigma mental health conversations bring in the Black community. We also discussed what getting help looks like and the overall goals of this profession. We want to continue that conversation by digging a little deeper. So now we're going to turn our conversation to how our childhood experiences continue to affect us as adults. And how everyday relationships, school, work, whether it be social stressors as well, contribute to the changes that happen to your personal mental health that most of us are not conscious of. And as we have done in the last three episodes of Appendix A, we're sitting down today with the mental health professional to ask her questions related to different topics associated with mental health. As we've done previously, we're going to announce each topic and our guest mental health professional will answer these questions associated with each topic. We're confident that these questions will continue to inform and inspire. Now, let me introduce our guest. Ty Rhodes Lofton is a licensed clinical social worker who is a New Orleans, Louisiana native, who that? and is the CEO of Impact Counseling and Support Services, LLC. She has both her BSW and MSW degrees from Southern University at New Orleans School of Social Work. She has worked with both nonprofit and for-profit agencies, providing mental health and or social services to youth and adults. Since starting her private practice, her emphasis is providing counseling and support to individuals going through pre and post divorce, long-term relationship breakups, anxiety, life transitions, stress management, self-care, recovery from church offense, establishing healthy boundaries, etc. She is passionate about providing impactful services to improve quality of life for those she serves. Welcome, Ms. Ty Rhodes Lofton. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. Well, thank you for all the meaningful work that you're doing, especially during these difficult times. We're glad to have you join us today. Yes, thank you so much, Ty. Let's jump right into this. So as Carla mentioned, we're going to start by talking about childhood trauma and how it affects adult mental health behaviors and inter and intrapersonal relationships. So the first question is, at what age in childhood does trauma begin to have a detrimental effect? And do we have any insight about this? Okay, yes, ma'am. So that is um, a very well-known area that has been explored and researched. There has been an assessment that's specifically been designed to assess trauma up to age 18. It's called the ACEs assessment. And that ACEs is an acronym for adverse childhood experiences. And with that particular assessment tool, it basically asks questions that apply to specific areas where children up to age 18 may experience some level of trauma. And the way it's scored is the higher number of yeses you give to that particular assessment, the more likely the trauma you experienced as a child will definitely have an effect on you as an adult. Wow. To know that what we go through as a child can really affect us as adults, I'm blown away by that. Yes, it can actually start as an infant. So when a child as an infant actually is in a situation, for example, where there may be some domestic violence, 
So even as an infant, a child uh, brain has the ability to actually bookmark that trauma in their brain and their senses pick up on those types of stressors and things of that. So, so although an infant or a toddler may not have the ability to actually verbalize what it is they're feeling or experiencing, it doesn't mean that they have not internalized the actual effects from that, that particular experience. It's definitely mind blowing. I think you know that childhood trauma exists. I mean, we've heard a lot more about it, I feel, recently. But knowing that even starting that early as an infant or a toddler, that is, wow, like, <laughs> it's deep. It is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. Okay. So let's, let's expand on the childhood trauma. So the second question is, how do we overcome the mental effects of childhood trauma in adulthood so for example are there specific practices or techniques we can use to self-soothe us to you know strengthen us and stabilize our mental stability yeah there is definitely things we can do as adults I mean I think the first thing is to recognize and accept that we've been through traumatic experiences. So when the ACEs, that assessment tool I explained to you guys a little earlier, when that tool was first created and that research was being collected and that tool was being um, basically put out to uh, collect certain information, they gave it to us as clinicians. So I remember sitting in an actual continuing education training where we're doing the actual ACEs and it's roughly about 10 questions. It's not a very long tool, not extremely excessive. And I'm answering, and guys, I might've really genuinely had out of 10, I probably had a score of about six or seven, which was a reality check for me going into the field back then and not realizing that those things were considered to be traumatic experiences. Mm. So in order for you to be able to even start to address it or like you say, overcome it or do things to improve your mental health in general, it starts with being aware that you had a traumatic experience. It starts with acknowledging that those things were not healthy behaviors that you may have been exposed to. So that's really where it starts. Mm -hmm. From there, you can, of course, go and identify some services, right? That includes counseling or therapy. That may include maybe group therapy. Some people don't want to do the one-on-one. Some people want to be in a setting where there's more than one person and they know that they're not going through those difficulties alone. That's always accessible. However, day-to-day things we can do is be aware of our actual triggers. And so that's the major factor when you're trying to manage your mental health as an adult or even as a teen or adolescent or youth. Knowing what your triggers are and identifying them are imperative. If you're not able to manage your triggers or be aware of your triggers, then it's very hard to even practice any type of coping mechanism because you don't know what it is that's actually causing you to feel uncomfortable or uneasy. Thank you for saying that because that's something I feel like it's not talked about, how to avoid triggers. Correct. And triggers can be something as simple as a sound. So how I share with you guys a toddler being exposed to certain domestic violence situation as a toddler, two, three, four years old, being exposed. And certain music could have been playing when those incidences were happening, right? So now you're an adolescent, you're 14, 15, 16 years old. And when that song comes on and say someone covered that song, it was a song from the eighties or nineties and now you're a teenager or, or now you're a young adult. 
and you hit a cover of that song being played by another artist, that can be a trigger. Just hearing that song, that music, those lyrics can be a trigger. Smells can be a trigger. Mm. Wow. Yeah. This is really deep. It's interesting because I remember going to a session. There was a, I believe a mental health professional that was talking about how we need to, like you mentioned just now, to first admit that we've been traumatized, to accept that. They said that it's almost like putting your hand on top of the stove and revisiting that because it has to bring it back to you so that you can kind of go through what you went through so that you can overcome it. Is that something that talked about in mental health or is that something that people personally add into the conversation? Yes, that is something we do processing that trauma or that traumatic events, the sequence of those events, um, as well as confronting right? That fear. That's a very old intervention and technique, confrontational type of therapy and counseling. However, I know for myself specifically, I take it at the client's pace. I wouldn't dare try to have them to process a traumatic experience too soon. It can re-traumatize them, like we talked about the triggers, to actually have to go back and remember those things, right? So it has to be where they've overcome certain barriers leading up to processing that. So there's a technique called the empty chair technique. And basically, um, if there was a history of somebody who abused you or verbally abused you or emotionally abused you, and that person is not present or you're not ready to have a sit down with that person if they're alive. The empty chair technique gives you the ability to process how you would confront that person or how you would approach that person, although they're not there. And I've had an actual client literally break down during an empty chair intervention moment, like broke, she couldn't finish the session. So that was my indicator. It was too soon. Although she said she was ready when it when it was time for it to happen, she literally had an emotional breakdown and actually did not come back to therapy for another three months. So to do that too soon can be detrimental to the recovery process. Okay, so to continue this, the third question, how does childhood trauma influence the relationship we have with ourselves? For example, issues with self-confidence, your ego, self-sabotaging and defense mechanisms and with others, for example, you know, projection and, you know, other behaviors that hurt mm-hmm. other people. Yeah. So it influences us in the way that we operate in relationships. I always tell my clients that their families gives you the foundational skills to teach you how to interact with others. Your first best friends are likely in your family. I know for me, it was my brother. Your model of a relationship as far as an intimate relationship is likely mom and dad or grandma and grandpa or auntie and uncle. Those relationships and those experiences are like your foundational life experiences. That's the model. So if you came up in in a home where there's a lot of uh, traumatic experiences, the behaviors you picked up from those experiences would likely be a guide for how you interact with the others as you are going into the world as an adolescent, a young adult, and an adult. It would definitely guide how you respond to conflict, for example. 
So again, I use domestic violence because mm -hmm. it's so easy to just come up with these scenarios. But if you were living in a home and there was domestic violence, for example, and that means there was a lot of yelling and screaming and slamming of doors and likely destruction of property and vulgar language being used, a lot of disrespect. So when conflict arose, the model that was given to you is we handle that by yelling and screaming and punching holes in walls and destroying property. So when you become an adult and now you're in a relationship, your likely go-to will be those same type of behaviors because mm -hmm. that was what was modeled to you. And subconsciously, we often go back to those natural things that were modeled to us from infancy all the way through young adulthood. So for those that may have been victims of childhood trauma, but have somehow either suppressed it or overcome, how does that lend to their self-confidence or their self-sabotage or their defense mechanisms as they grow and start a career? So it plays out in ways of trying to be perfect. Mm. So it plays out in ways of that. The self-sabotage is before I'm rejected, because if you are rejected a lot as a child, you're expecting it when you go into the workforce because you've been conditioned mentally that you're never good enough. You won't measure up. So going into the workforce, you get on the job and you're trending well. Say you're doing fine. You're 90 days in. Some jobs make you wait six months as far as your trial period and things. You're 90 days in and now you're feeling a flow and you start to become anxious because your six month review is coming up and you been conditioned to believe you're not going to measure up. So that plays out in the way of quitting the job before you get to the six month review. It mm. plays out in ways of not completing tasks or being critical because that was what was modeled hmm. to you. Somebody was extremely critical in your home. So you have a tendency to repeat that behavior. And you mentioned projecting, projecting and deflecting and those types of things are normal, natural responses, depending on the environments we grew up in. So as you're speaking, I'm realizing that a lot of my trauma now dictates how I am in graduate school right now. I highly doubt myself. I'm always over analytical, over critical of myself. I'm always questioning if I'm doing well, even though I'm constantly getting praised and accolades and awards, I still feel like it's not enough. Yes. Especially that plays out in um, if you are uh, one of however many siblings, so say you have siblings, if you were the sibling that was the eldest, you weren't going to be praised more than the baby or the middle kids, right? Because you have witnessed more. You have been through it all with mom and dad or either, right? So you've witnessed, experienced, and went through the trenches, most likely with your family. And so because of you being the eldest or the leader, right? So sometimes the, the leader of the pack isn't necessarily the elder. Oftentimes we see in families where the boy is the elder, the oldest girl will likely take the leadership role. And those who take that leadership role, we are not often given those accolades, that acknowledgement, those appreciation. It's just expected of us. So we go into the world as most likely overachievers. Like we can't just, you know, meet the mark. We got to exceed the mark. 
You know, we can't just be good. We need to be excellent, you know, because we've never been allowed to make very many mistakes. And if we were, we were held to a higher standard. And so now, because I have a child, I'm seeing that this affects how you raise your children. So Carla set that up quite nicely. And that is the next question. The final question of this section Does what we go through in childhood really affect how we raise our children? And are there any downstream generational effects of childhood trauma? Uh, Yes and yes. (laughs) In short, yes. I'm glad she did mention. I see now how it plays out with the way she raises her child. I literally I did the same thing. I have a daughter. And I really was extremely hard on her. I was very critical of her. Literally everything that was done to me, I caught myself doing it to my daughter, not consciously, because I remembered how it made me feel. I felt small a lot. I felt unheard a lot. I felt dismissed a lot. And I remember how those things made me feel. So when she's learning how to read and and, and making certain milestones academically and doing certain things, I remember just how difficult, how hard I was on her. I remember when she was learning how to read and we're going over a book and we're reading because I was, again, I'm the eldest of my mom's children and I'm the eldest girl on my dad's side. So I'm the overachiever. So for me, I want my daughter to know how to read by a certain day. She better know these amount of words, like the whole nine yards, right? And so we're going over reading and it was some particular, I don't even remember the book. However, she kept forgetting a specific word and I blew up. I blew up. I had like a whole little meltdown because this is like fourth or fifth time we went over this word and you still haven't comprehended it clearly. So my girlfriend was there with me at the time and she literally called me out, guys. She pulled me to the side. She says, you are entirely too hard on her. And that was the first time anybody ever told me something like that. I didn't catch it until it was brought to my attention from somebody who's not a part of my family. Because in your family, it's normal. Mm-hmm. That was the first clue I caught when she was like four or five years old. Like, Ty, you're repeating the same behaviors. My family wasn't super affectionate toward me. Guess what? I wasn't super affectionate toward my daughter. My girlfriend brought it to my attention. And from that day to this, like I have to be purposeful in the way I think. I have to take a step back and think about the situation before I address her with it. I have to take a step back and collect Mm -hmm. myself if it's something emotional or causing me to be upset and calm myself down. So I do not repeat the behaviors that were done to me. Mm-hmm. But that also, like you said, it requires like a self-reflection yes. and accountability to recognize, yes, I'm doing something wrong. I need to check myself. But what happens when that person or individual doesn't Then the cycle do continues. Hence, yes to the second question. Does the cycle continue have generational effects? Yes, it does. It continues generationally time after time after time again. And trauma can be generational in and of itself, meaning as a culture, as a people, as a family. Prime example I can use, the Kennedys. People like to say the Kennedys has a curse on their family because they die young, right? That's a traumatic occurrence that happens in that family over and over and over. It's generational. 
So I could only imagine mm-hmm. how the up and coming generation Kennedys feel about the potential that they may not live long. It dictates how you live your life and how you affect your own life. Yes. It does require taking a step back, reflecting. The aha moments sometimes come by way of friends. It may come by way of a coworker, right? So when we're on a job and we're just naturally operating in unhealthy behaviors um, as a result of what was modeled to us, a coworker might call that out. And initially we may take that offensively, but in all honesty, that might be just what we need to take a step back and see, hey, this isn't healthy or the best way to manage that stressor. And I think it's nice to always have people in your corner who don't just say what you want to hear, who also challenge you to push you to be better. So thankfully, your friend said something to you and had the courage to say, you know, Ty, take a step back. And I think it's great that you receive that information. I think a lot of the times we don't like to receive information if it goes against what we've been doing. So I commend you. It also dictates the people we're surrounded by. So like you're saying, the yes people, by me having the type of personality that I have and and naturally in my family, I have this leadership role. I have this matriarchal role in my family. Naturally that carries over into the workforce. When I was in college, don't get me wrong, in our circles, we're gonna always have those yes people. But I purposely wanted people who were not scared to tell me no, or who were not scared to be honest with me. That was one thing I had already done the reflection on was I wanted to be open-minded because I was raised in a home where they were not open-minded. They didn't care what I felt or what I had to say. Listen, y'all, we talked about so much in a short amount of time. And Ty, when I tell you I'm going to reach out to you, we talk. There's some things we need to continue discussing. Um, So please be on the lookout for that email when I reach out to you again. Um, Again, Ty is the CEO of Impact Counseling and Support Services in New Orleans, Louisiana. So if you're in that area and you need any assistance or insight, um, please do not hesitate to reach out to Ty. Um, If you have any additional questions or you would like to connect with her, um, please contact us at stemmingforward at gmail.com. If you need more information about Stemming Forward or you want to be involved in any way, you can search us on Facebook at Stemming Forward, on LinkedIn at Stemming Forward, or you can follow us on Instagram at Stemming underscore forward. And so now that we're at the end, we had a tie um, come up with a quote that um, she has used as um, inspiration and motivation for herself to sign off. I'm going to use a quote from the great queen, Maya Angelou. I love this particular quote. I often say it to my clients and often share it with my friends. And it says, if I am not good to myself, how can I expect anyone else to be good to me? Thank you guys for listening. And we are stemming forward together.